recording. Okay, and I'm going to organize myself. They say that the tree of loving shine on me again. They say it grows on the bank of the river of suffering. Shine on me again. So weave, weave, weave. Weave me the hope of a new tomorrow. Fill my cup again. Only you can climb that mountain. Shine on me again. If you want to drink from the golden fountain, shine on me again now. Weave, weave, weave me the sunshine out of the fallen rain. Weave me the hope of a new tomorrow. Fill my cup again. Weave, weave, weave me the sunshine out of the fallen rain. Weave me the hope. Of a new tomorrow, fill my cup once again. I'm a little boy with glasses, the one they call a geek. A little girl who never smiles, cause I got braces on. 
And I know how it feels to cry myself to sleep. I'm the kid on every playground, the one that's chosen last. I'm a single teenage mother trying to overcome my past. You don't have to be my friend, but is it too much to ask? Don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure. From my pain, in God's eyes, we're all the same. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. I'm a beggar on the corner. You've passed me on. And I wouldn't be out here begging if I had enough to eat. And don't think I don't notice that our eyes never meet. Don't laugh at me. Don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure from my pain. In God's eyes, we're all. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. I'm fat. I'm thin. I'm short. I'm tall. I'm deaf. I'm blind. Hey, art. Me, don't call me names. Don't get your pleasure from my pain. In God's eyes, we are all the same. Someday we'll all have perfect wings. Don't laugh at me. Don't laugh. You are a co-host, so I don't know what's going on. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Hi, my, hi, Jeff. How are you? Good, Good to see you. Happy New Year. <laughs> Bye, Jackie. <laughs> Never give up, no matter the pain and sorrow, never give up, you'll find your tomorrow, compassionate heart, it will lead you, your loving heart, it will free you, to never give up, never give up.
Love everyone, love all strangers, love even your enemies. Love everyone, and everyone will join you to work for peace, to work for peace. Never give up, no matter the pain. You'll find your tomorrow Compassionate heart It will lead you Your loving heart It will free you To never give up To never give up Love your friends Love all strangers Love even your enemies Love everyone And everyone will join you To work for peace To work for peace Never give up No matter the pain and sorrow Never give up You'll find your tomorrow Compassionate heart It will lead you Your loving heart It will free you To never give up To never give up Never give up Never give up, never give up. They say that the tree of loving shine on me again. They say it grows on the bank of the river of suffering. Shine on me again. So weave, weave, weave me the sunshine out of the falling rain. Weave me the hope of a new Fill my cup again If only I could heal your sorrow Shine on me again I'd help you to find your new tomorrow Shine on me again Weave, weave, weave me the sunshine Out of the falling rain Weave me the hope of a new tomorrow Fill my cup Again. I've seen the steel and the concrete crumble Shine on me again The proud and the mighty, they all have stumbled Shine on me again now Weave, weave, weave me the sunshine Out of the falling rain 
to have you. I'm Jeffrey Geisner, founder of the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group. And we have a very large crowd and I am very happy to have my wife, Myra Geisner, helping me admit um, everyone coming in. We'll be starting in just a minute. 
Um, I want to welcome all of my friends who are part of the community, the survivors who I know so well, as well as new friends who are coming to the program for the very first time and being introduced to the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group. I want to also um, bring you some introductions quickly. And um, hold on one second. I'll do that. So on screen is obviously Peter Yarrow and, and Jackie Gamash, who is the creative director and producer of today's program. Um, I want to uh, first um, take a moment of silence uh, for the hostages, for our brothers and sisters in Israel, um, and for our valuable IDF soldiers who are protecting us um, and our people of Israel. So let me um, share my screen and have a moment of silence. Well, several moments of silence, but I'm sure you'll enjoy the music. Light one candle for the Maccabee children With thanks that their light didn't die Light one candle for the pain they endured When their right to exist was denied Light one candle for the terrible sacrifice Justice and freedom demand But light one candle for the wisdom to know When the peacemaker's time is at hand don't let the light go out It's lasted for so many years Don't let the light go out Let it shine through our love and our tears Light one candle for the strength that we need To never become our own foe And light one candle for those who are suffering Pain we learned so long ago Light one candle for all we believe in Let anger not tear us apart But light one candle to bind us together With peace as the song in our hearts Don't let the light go out It's lasted for so many years Don't let the light go out let it shine through our love and our tears What is the memory that's valued so highly That we keep it alive in that flame? What's the commitment to those who have died When we cry out they've not died in vain? We have come this far Always believing that justice will somehow prevail this is the burden, and this is the promise, and this is why we will not fail. Don't let the light go out, it's lasted for so many years. Don't let the light go out, let it shine through our love and our tears. Don't let the light go out, don't let the light go out. Well, that's beautiful, Peter, and it certainly speaks 
to how magical this program will be. I hope that each of you will be able to leave with less trauma and pain that perhaps you have come to this program with. And I am going to now introduce Jackie, uh, Jackie uh, Jacqueline Emma Gamash. As we know, Jackie is a such a love of our group. She comes to all of our events. So Jackie, please take it away and lead us through the program. Thank you. You bring the song of Peter Yarrow, don't, don't let the light go out and you want me to, to be myself. I am just with a lot of emotion just now. And, uh, and I know all of you are. And uh, I, Jeffrey, thank you for everything. Peter, you have brought for me a new life in the US. I have been a little bit everywhere, in Tunisia, in France, in Canada, in Israel, but I cannot believe, and I want to say a very, very special thank you to you. And Peter has been the founder. When, when they give me the title of creative director and founder of We Are the Tree of Life, a project that I am developing, I think it's of the teaching and the admiration that I have for Peter who drove me there and drove us there because we are all together. I mean, thank you, Toda, Aslam, uh, Bevakasha, be strong, and let's face the times that we are living. Uh, I would like to just take two minutes to present to you, we are the tree of life. And if you don't mind, Jeffrey, can you put the first slide? Uh, when the tree of life synagogue was attacked, uh, was attacked, I was absolutely horrified and devastated. And I will tell you why. Because I couldn't understand, being an American citizen now, how such a drama could happen in the US which is such a young, young country. I come from Tunisia, 2,000 years of Jews. But here you have three, four generations of people coming from all over the world as immigrants. And I was devastated. And I decided to talk to my granddaughter, Yvette Ballantyne, who was then nine years old, and tell her a little bit the story of the Holocaust and what happened. But of course, I illustrated that lightly due to her age and also with all the creations of art because she she is a kind of young artist and the, the drawing of terrorism site and so on and the music and uh, after a few phone calls it was not even a direct relationship she sent me this image and if we look at the second slide thank you jeffrey i was looking at it and say, Yvette, what, I understand the butterflies, I understand the trunk, I'm a, what are all those little circles? And she said, and I said, Yvette, are they leaves? And she said, Meme, you know, nine years old, Meme, grandma. Of course they are leaves. The tree has leaves. And I said, but why are they circles? And they say, she answers on the phone, that's what you show me, Meme. 
that mean, listen, Mimi, listen, with authority, of course. When I go to school, I can be hurt by somebody or I can be unhappy and I am sad. But I go home, I find back my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and I feel better and I feel I survive because life, it's like a little circle. And that's the reason the leaves are circle because they are about survival and continuity and not interruption. And I think that presentation of my granddaughter, which symbolize really we are the tree of life. And as the third slide, the issue and the presentation by a kid as from generation to generation. And we all say as educators, as parents, as teachers, we have to transmit to our children what is correct, what is appropriate. And I got into writing a poem. It's the only and first poem of my life. In those days, music notes were silence. On this day, music will be heard. In those days, drawings were hidden and invisible. On this day, they will be seen. In those days, literature was voiceless. On this day, life stories, words, and poetry will be proclaimed. And I have to say that all this thinking came from a number of people, and one of them is here also today, uh, Clint, who produced the movie, Peter and many others that you will see in the movie. And I don't know how to say thank you. I even don't know if I have to say thank you. I love to tell Peter, Peter, I love you. Thank you. Now he would, would, give, would give a chance to Peter to share with us his approach and, uh, and his music. So uh, now, Peter. Jackie, it's uh, an honor and a pleasure, and I am in awe of your determination, your persistence. And I remember our, and, and, and your commitment and your love, which is expressed not just in words, but in your actions and in your creative direction. And I remember the initial conversations that we had when you were beginning to conceive of what the tree of life would be. And the concept was, and it was your concept that that somehow through our being engaged with and recognizing the uh, creativity, the resilience, the love and the power of people were in, in the middle of the most horrendous, bestial uh, uh, circumstance perhaps in in our recorded history, in recent history, the Holocaust, how 
that could educate us to to uh, be a force in our own time to do what we can to resist those horrifically painful um, cruel forces that are swirling around us the forces that may not be <clears throat> in any way comparable to what occurred in the Holocaust. It was when we were talking about it, they were not unleashed in the sense they are now, but we were talking about what, what we could do. And we, we agreed that when people saw what creative people and did in those circumstances, so that they said, I will not be annihilated. My spirit will not be annihilated. I will not lose my heart. I will not become a part of this decimation of, of all sensibility, this contradiction to everything that matters. I will express it. I will write a symphony. I will paint a picture. I will dance. I will, I will write Anne Frank's diary. And that, <clears throat> we agreed, was an example. And also in itself, living in the zone of what, uh, what Tikkun Olam is. I mean, look, we are instructed by our tradition, we who are Jews, and there are many friends I see here, some of whom uh, are Jews, some of whom are not Jews. But as Jews, you grow up and you get the spirit and the word, which is that your life is about tikkun olam. It is about your helping to heal the world. You cannot aspire to do more than you can, but you must do what you can. And in that context, uh, in that context, um, I've said to you several things, this must not in being Jewish, that doesn't mean we are only for Jews. The tree of life is not only for, it's for all of humanity. We are healing not just the suffering of Jews. As Jews, we are to know that because we were slaves in Egypt, anybody who is enslaved means that we need to be there, we understand, we have, why are Jews called the chosen people? We have people who will say those words and some will say, because we're so smart, we're so, no. We are chosen for leadership of the task of taking on the world of sorrow and injury on our shoulders. We 
Not that others don't, but that is our specific instruction. And when we do, we don't do it in uh, discriminately. Oh, you know, you're going to do do it for this group of people, but not for LGBTT, not for not Q, not for not for younger people, not for older people, not for people from Islam. Humanity itself is what we Jews embrace, and we do it with our we. This is what we do. We sing, we dance, and we bring light so that we are not co-opted. We are not seduced by what has seduced people all over the world now in the United States. There is the capacity in all of us, Jackie, for being those kinds of peoples that we despise. It can be awakened in every one of us. How do we resist? How do we become continuing peace builders. Well, when we create, we share our love. When we love, we are building peace. So if we affirm through music what we care about as I am singing, let me give you a little bit of the, the lyric of Light Wind Candle here. It says, light one candle for the strength that we need to never become our own foe. Each one of you who's on the screen, me, as Americans, as Jews, our own foe, as Israelis, as Palestinians, as people in the world, let us not, but very specifically, because it's in the context of light one candle, it refers to the world that surrounds the reality of the Jewish history. Light went candle for those who are suffering pain. We learned so long ago, anybody who is in the diaspora, we know what a diaspora is about. We know Fiddler on the Roof. We know what it is to be uh, uh, to have a programmed to be isolated, to be anybody. That's who we are. We understand. Light one candle for all we believe in. Let anger not tear us apart. Okay, that's anger in America, the polarization, everything, but it's also anger, hatred for those who have hurt us. No, we hate the act, but somehow there's the impulse within us to respect the fact that each person is a divine in some way creature. And when we do that, we serve. We serve and we are closest to the light, to what is essential and divine within ourselves and we are joyous and we will not be vanquished will not be eradicated because we have that so our task today is to talk about 
resilience, survival, and maintaining our commitment to tikkun olam. To me, that is being Jewish. To me, that has been with Peter, Paul, and Mary. Now, let me give you a moment we'll share of, of Peter, Paul, and Mary, and I'll ask you all to do the same. Um, we're going to sing a Peter, Paul, and Mary song, but we're going to do it in a peculiar way. After I sing the first verse and chorus, you're going to unmute and sing along. Yes, you will be out of sync. Yes, you will be singing flat and sharp. But you know something? We will be doing, we will be not talking about healing. We will do a little bit of the, acquiring the vulnerability and love that allows us to carry on. So rather than talk about it, let's just do a little bit of it. It was written by Pete Seeger. If I had a hammer, I'd a hammer in the morning. Now, unmute yourselves. There's a little microphone in the lower left corner of your screen. There you are, unmuting yourselves. Now, if you can't sing, Bonnie, I don't see you unmuted. Do you know how to unmute, Bonnie? I think Peter wants us to stop. Right, Stephen, unmute again. Here we go. Let's be serious. I want to see you unmuted. I see you, I see you. I see you smiling. I see your red hair. I see your glasses. I don't want you. You don't have to remember. I have a hammer. The hammer out of gold. Hammer, hammer, hammer. If I had a bell, if I had a bell, I'd be in the morning. Bring out love, brothers in and now with your hands back and forth, back and forth, your hands back and forth, back and forth and forth. I had a song, I sing it in the morning. 
The hammer of justice, the bell of freedom. It's the song about my brothers and sisters. Yes, I see you. I feel you. We are we are connected now. This is what music. This is what it did at the March on Washington in 1963, when Peter Paul and Mary sang that. In this song, Pete Seeger tells us the challenge and what the problem is in each generation. We have to preserve liberty and justice. It's a fight. We cannot presume in any generation that it's not going to be the informidable task. We cannot say it's a done deal. We cannot see women have a right to, to make determinations of their own bodies. We can't take this for granted. We cannot take for granted any of the liberties and freedoms. That's what Pete Seeger, we have to hammer out danger, hammer out a warning that if we don't persist in our commitment to guarding, and how do we guard it? With tikkun olam. But then Pete Seeger gives us the answer of the building block of success. The love between our brothers and our sisters, between us. When it is between us, and it's not just about us. When we see suffering, when we see pain, when we see joy, when we celebrate, when we are vulnerable, when we love, we make a blow for peace, for freedom, for justice. And we have within ourselves the strength, the strength to do what Peter, Paul and Mary did for the entire 50 years that we were together. Because we had an epiphany when we were at the March in Washington. It was extraordinary. We said, we know who we are. We are this, our essence. Our essence is found in the beauty of the burden. Now, what is the burden? In the last verse of Light One Candle, it says, it says, what is the memory 
that's valued so highly that we keep it alive in that flame. What is that memory? The memory of the Holocaust? Yes. The memory of being slaves? Torah. The memory of, of being, uh, becoming, you know, uh, wander. The memory of, 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 of anti-Semitism. The memory of anti, anti women. Of, of anti uh, people with disabilities, anti anti humanity. What is the memory? But for us, it's very specific. For us, as Jews, we have that memory, and it says what is the memory valued so highly that we keep it alive? what's commitment to those who have died when we cry out they've not died in vain how do we dignify ourselves uh, and the struggle and the survivors and the survivors children and those who are survivors not just survivors in the holocaust but survivors of of the extrapolation of what that means and then it says and light one candle, and this defines me as a Jew to myself. We have come this far, always believing that justice will somehow prevail. This is the burden. This is the promise. And this is why we will not fail. We have said, if we, if we embrace justice, we'll somehow is that a burden? Why is it a burden? Because as Jews, as people who embrace this premise, Jewish or not, what we are saying is we will not return an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We will not become those people who have visited this horror on us and on others. We, however hard it is, we won't do that. And that's the task now. And it's very hard, very hard. It is a burden. When somebody injures you terribly, there is that you, you, if you want to be in the army, they have to teach you how to kill. They have to teach you to hate. We, we have to do the opposite. We can despise the act, but we burden ourselves with the hatred and the hatred projected on others. We are not peace builders, we are the inverse. And that's what I learned. And that's what we learn from the tree of life because we see the people who have survived, who have not survived, but written, but sung and said, just what we did in, in, in uh, if I had a hammer. So for the last couple of minutes, I wanna sing a few times, very softly with you, the chorus of blowing in the wind. And in that, remember that we are still here. You, you, we, a lot of us are people of some age. And we are, we are the, the people who possess a memory of a time of great, great hopefulness, great authority of enthusiasm, great dedication to justice, peace, not dedication 
to material things, not dedication to the power to, 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 to injure, not, not the power to crush somebody else, but the power to find fairness and equity. We inherit that. We have to remind ourselves that that's who we are. So let's do that with a little bit of a, a blowing in the wind. With me, unmute. Mark Weiss, unmute. <laughs> and Myra Geisner, do you know how to unmute your microphone? Linda Lantieri, I love you, but you have to unmute too. <laughs> and Evelyn Lipson. My friend, <laughs> How many years in a mountain before it is washed to the the hatred of stupidity? How many years for their Washington, when a quarter of a million, most of them black and and some people, and when we had that moment of silence, so much feedback. Suffering, my brother, because of Israel. We do not who are suffering. Whatever happens in this conflict, we do not lose our compassion and love for one another. We do not lose the capacity to be peace builders and know that we all have the right to the dignity. And we can love. When we do that, as the Dalai Lama says, he says in his song, which was playing, he said, love everyone, love all strangers, love even your enemy. How can you do that? Love everyone and everyone will join you to work for peace. He tells us, that's what we're here to do. And what inspires us? The survivors, the non-survivors, the sons, the daughters. Because they did it in the most difficult of times, the most difficult of times, when they could have been consumed so much with hatred that they could not have written a note, painted a picture, or wrote a poem. How many deaths will it take till we know that too many people have died with me, the answer, my friend. 
Zelda, I'm reaching out my hand. Give me a big hug. Cross your arms in front of you and give me a big hug. Give each other a big hug. Yay! We are together. We're alive. We are together. We are still here. Our goodness is not extinguished. Our capacity to love. And we can still be people of all sorts. But as Jews, we are here to heal. And that is the beauty and dignity of life exemplified. Okay, the tree of life it is. And with great honor, we remember. Can I have this back? Remember, yeah. You remember together. <clears throat> Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Jeffrey, may I ask you to mute everybody? Uh, and uh, Peter, we 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 will see Peter again after the screening of the movie. He will be here for question and answers. Uh, and uh, I took some notes when he was talking. That means there are some new ideas. If it happens with you, any of you, and if you have a direction, a thought, please share it with us through Jeffrey or through email. We will really appreciate. And the. Uh, if I may now go back for one second about from generation to generation. Uh, I explained to you how my granddaughter was involved with that, but my daughter, Yael, was also involved with that. She knew I was developing this project and thinking about it, and she has a very, very close friend, Clint Burkett. And Clint was an admirable man, producer, award winner in film productions, spent an hour and a half with me on the phone. And I was explaining to him what I was doing. And his conclusion was, I am going to make a movie for you. I say, what do you mean, Clint? He said, I am making a movie for We Are the Tree of Life. Clint, are you there? I'm here. Thank you, Clint. And Clint is is incredible. Incredible. Oh, I'm just... 
Just a man. Uh, well, basically, Jackie called me up. Her daughter is an amazing singer-songwriter. And uh, her and, and uh, Vladimir, they actually are in the film. And they uh, are some of the uh, kind of like an overture for the film. But anyway, um, Jackie called me up, asked me if I wanted to help her out on this project when she said that it had to do with with the the Holocaust and uh, music and art. So it was a different approach to um, telling the story of the Holocaust and the story of survival. And so I decided that I would I would help her. It, she, it was, she created it and she started sending me PowerPoints and then I put down a timeline in my editing studio and, and uh, we just started going after each story individually. People jumped on board. Um, Lynn Kibo was also very instrumental in uh, helping us get this going. Um, and so um, we went to, it was during COVID, so we had to mask up if we went to a house, like we went to uh, Eileen Wingard and, and uh, um, her friend, the pianist, I forgot her name. Um, that was playing. They, they did a salon, and they and they we did a story about them. And then, um, so basically, it's Jackie's idea that I turned into. It was going to be. It's a it's a learning tool of sorts, um, but now it's a documentary, and um, I'm honored that I could bring it to you. Um, and I thank you, Jeffrey, for for doing can this. We, can we remove the videos? That will help. Me? Just turn off all videos. We don't need to, Jackie. Don't worry about it. I have it controlled. He's got Jeffrey's got it all under control, Jackie. <laughs> and so, um, anyway, what else can I say? Uh, I'm I'm honored to be here, and I'm, I'm I'm fortunate to be able to help tell this story. I'm not Jewish, but I did grow up in a Jewish neighborhood, and um, so I understand. Um, some things that uh, maybe other people wouldn't, but um, one of my neighbors was in Auschwitz and escaped. So that was that kind of uh, was a powerful thing that happened in my childhood when I realized what, about that. But anyhow, um, after after the film was done, then uh, I was fortunate to meet Alan Markowitz. And Alan has been so helpful to Jackie uh, since then, helping her hone the marketing message and 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 promote the film, and uh, just just a really great guy. He's a filmmaker as well. For uh, he does uh, virtual reality films and IMAX films and things like that. I don't know if he's here, but um, we love you, Alan, and uh, and um, thank you, Peter. You. Hard. That was wonderful what you did there, and it had us all laughing. And and uh, I'm just happy to be here. And thank you. Okay, Jackie, we'll get started with the film. Unless is that okay, Jackie? Unmute, Jackie? unmute yourself, Jackie. I don't always see her. 
So I'm going to uh, begin the film. I don't see her. Okay, Jackie will come back. She's she's online. So hold on a second while I share the screen and get started. In those days, music notes were silent. On this day, the music will be heard. There is a place that is marked in the music that I've never seen in music before, tumultuoso. cose di adrenalina con il quale si può sopravvivere a situazioni di disagio, situazioni tragiche, penose. But from her we can kind of take her story and use it as a source of strength. In those days drawings were hidden and invisible. On this day they will be seen. Helga's drawings are known throughout the world and are documented in the book, Draw What You See. We must tell the story of Friedel Dicker Brandeis and the art of the children of Terezine. On these days, literature was voiceless. On this day, life stories, words, and poetry will be heard. The last, the very last, butterflies don't live in here, in the ghetto. Carry on, my sweet survivor. Carry on, my lonely friend. I'm thinking of the richness of the interviews you've done at the USC Shoah Foundation and how you have captured experiences from multiple genocides and how that might inform our thinking about a community building, we are the tree of life kind of effort. The Holocaust survivors themselves have had the final word of their own story. That to me is uh, an amazing act of both resilience, I'm going to keep living and I'm going to tell my story, and resistance, I have the final word on this. We collectively have the final word on this. You and me, we are the tree of life. How was the trailer? I'm I'm really sorry about those issues where and I am lost. <laughs> How was the trailer? That means that's that's resilience, courage and keeping going.
that was the that wasn't the documentary that was the trailer everything stopped My two guys, Jeffrey and Clint, what do what do we do? Do we go to the movie? I don't, I don't understand all those cuts, but I don't know how to solve them. Um, that was the trailer that he just ran. That wasn't the documentary. Oh, it's... I think everybody needs to stop their video. Jackie, we have to show the documentary now. Can you hear me? Jackie? Is that something you can do? I believe Jeff is getting that work up. There was a question about how long the documentary will last. Do you 72 know? minutes. It's okay. 72 minutes. Thank you. Uh huh. Thank you. There it is. Is that it? I would like to suggest that we turn off all the videos. Yes, everyone turn off your video. I'm sorry? Everyone turn off your then video. I decided to educate my granddaughter, Yvette. 11 years old on the Holocaust. At our last phone conversation, Yvette presented me with the tree. The idea was born, bringing back the performing arts, music, poetry, dance, literature, drawing, <coughs> visual arts created by inmates in concentration camp and in ghettos during World War II. Their talents, their works, are today the message of their survival. In those days, music notes were silent. On this day, the music will be heard. So carry on, my sweet survivor. Carry on, my lonely friend. In those days, drawings were hidden and invisible. On this day, they will be seen. In those days, literature was voiceless. On this day, life stories, words, and poetry will be heard. I am the tree of life. You are the tree of life. We are the tree of life.
Friedel Dicker Brandeis was a painter, a designer, a graduate of the Bauhaus, and an activist. Her passion was creating art and teaching art to children. She and her husband were deported on December 16, 1942, to the Terezin Ghetto. And Friedel selflessly filled her deportation suitcases with art supplies rather than essentials. Many of her young art students were also being sent to Terezin, and Friedel knew continuing their art lessons would be vital to their ability to cope with the traumatic conditions in the ghetto. While in Terezin, Friedel continued to teach and create art. From 1943 to 1944, Friedel's Terezin art classes functioned as a kind of therapy, helping her students to endure the harsh reality of ghetto life. With Friedel's support and guidance, the children were able to create art, cultivate hope, and transcend their reality under the most difficult circumstances. Before being deported from Terezin to Auschwitz, Friedel filled two suitcases with the children's drawings and hid them in one of the dormitories at Terezin. In 1945, after the war, the suitcases were found filled with nearly 4,500 of the children's drawings. The Jewish Museum in Prague holds them on permanent exhibition in the Pinkas Synagogue. The synagogue is now a memorial to the nearly 80,000 Jewish victims of the Holocaust from the Czech lands. The drawings left behind by Friedel and the children of Terezin are their historic legacy. For the world's collective consciousness, we must tell the story of Friedel Dicker Brandeis and the art of the children of Terezin. These emotionally powerful drawings, paintings, and collages are a testimony to their resilience, their existence, and their persecution. This art is now all that is left to commemorate their lives. In the autumn of 1944, Friedel and most of her young students were deported east, where nearly all of them perished in the gas chambers of Auschwitz. Of the nearly 660 children who created art with Friedel and Terezin, 550 did not survive. Friedel was murdered in Auschwitz on October 9, 1944. I think that's the essence really of what this program's about is how do we come together um, and continue to grow together, um, be together in, in spite of all of the different types of tragedies and traumas that have persisted over 
you know, not only the recent ones, but over the, over the centuries and uh, including, of course, and especially the Holocaust. Oh, it really is. Even in learning how people cope with trauma. What I was thinking is that now I have this opportunity to talk to you and um, the, I'm thinking of the richness of the interviews you've done at the USC Shoah Foundation and how you have captured experiences from multiple genocides and how that might inform our thinking about a community building, we are the tree of life kind of effort. You know, I always think of the USC Shoah Foundation archive as an archive of resistance and resilience. The first thing is that people are only speaking in our archive because they survived. And the intent of the Nazi regime was to wipe out every single Jewish man, woman and child as defined in the final solution at Vansay in 1942 and to ensure that not only were they murdered but every last vestige of their existence would be removed and would be wiped out. And that's why I actually like this thing, we are the tree of life. It's about being, it's about the very essence of being alive. But in fact, the Holocaust survivors themselves have had the final word of their own story. My dad threw me in front of him. The one thing you didn't want is for the Germans to, to see that you were holding on to your child, because that was the whole idea, is to break up the family, murder the family. Uh, that was the genocide of the whole thing. So by not identifying that this is your child, there was a little bit of an edge you had to possibly survive. That to me is uh, an amazing act of both resilience, I'm going to keep living and I'm going to tell my story, and resistance, I have the final word on this. We collectively have the final word on this. One other thing, aspect about this, Lauren, is I think um, I see the collective uh, voice as being much greater than the sum of its parts. Every one of those testimonies is precious. Think about it. Um, one of those survivors maybe was maybe in Hungary and the Nazis came in in 1944 and they survived a year of Nazi tyranny. Maybe they were in Poland and survived five and a half years of Nazi tyranny. Maybe they were a child in Berlin in 1933. And those words are not a recitation of history. What they really are is allowing us access to their lives. Um, and they are, you know, they're both memorial in nature because they talk about their mother and their father and their brothers and their sister and uncle and auntie and everybody else that did not survive so that it becomes a memorial when those voices come together the collective voice of them put together um, speak louder than any one of the individual voices can and so I think it's uh, you know I, when I see that archive every day of my life um, I'm just profoundly honored to have the chance to be you know one of its custodians for a short period of time because it will speak to our world for many many centuries to come and to know them well as people what an honor that is too to know Holocaust survivors in all of their complexity as, as people, so that there's so much more than that experience. You know, they're, um, they become friends, they become family. Mm -hmm.
in the aftermath of the shooting here, I was calling survivors right away, of course. And some of them were distraught and others saw this as, you know, along the continuum. The Butterfly was written by Pavel Friedman, who was born in Prague and at the age of 21 was deported also to Terezin. While there, he wrote the poem, The Butterfly, on a piece of thin copy paper and at the top dated June 4, 1942. He died in Auschwitz on September 29, 1944, and several of his poems were discovered after liberation and they're housed today at the Jewish Museum in Prague. The last, the very last, so richly, brightly, dazzling yellow. Perhaps if the sun's tears would sing against a white stone. Such a yellow is carried lightly way up high. It went away on shore because it wished to kiss the world goodbye. For seven weeks I've lived in here, penned up inside this ghetto. But I have found my new people here. The dandelions call to me and the white chestnut candles in the court. Only I never saw another butterfly. That butterfly was the last one. Butterflies don't live in here, in the ghetto. Hi, my name is Lynn Kibo, and we are the Tree of Life. Helga Wysova is a Terezin survivor. As a child, she created over a hundred drawings detailing her experience in Terezin. Helga's drawings are known throughout the world and are documented in the book, Draw What You See. On December 10th, 1941, Helga Wysova, age 12, and her parents were taken from their Prague home and deported to Terezin. Shortly after being separated from her parents at arrival, Helga, an avid artist, managed to smuggle one of her drawings to her beloved father, Otto Weiss, in the men's barracks at Terezin. Draw what you see was her father's response. And so, from 1942 to 1944, Helga Wysova drew everyday life at Terezin. Through a child's lens, she drew her reality and her dreams in the so-called model ghetto. Upon deportation to Auschwitz in 1944, Helga left her drawings with her uncle in Terezin, who hid them and so saved them. 
Helga was liberated on May 5, 1945. She lives in her family's apartment in Prague, from which they were taken in 1941. The Tree of Life uh, has a focus, uh, Lauren, around arts, thinking about, you know, the arts during the Holocaust, as well as how it's also helping us to navigate after is, is that something that you you know have a focus on in, at the holocaust center in pittsburgh at all or is it you know where does art come in for your community we are very involved with the arts and actually as, as director this has been my area of greatest joy we have been involved with a group that plays music by composers who were targeted some were victims in the holocaust some escaped of course we have a comic book series um, that we've, we're working on volume four, it's nearly completed, that tells real stories from the Holocaust, Kutzpah Superheroes of the Holocaust. And we've had a number of art exhibits. We were able to work with the University of Pittsburgh to put, and I'm sure you've seen this exhibit, um, enormous photographs of Holocaust survivors, portraits, close up. We put them all over an outdoor space at the University of Pittsburgh, and that was really an incredible moment. Simultaneously, we had a photography exhibit that juxtaposed photographs that had to do with the Tree of Life, Holocaust photographs, and photographs from protests. So Black Lives Matter protests, Say Her Name protests, with really limited captioning. So when groups came, students, people from the community had a chance to reflect on photographs that were really significant and meaningful to them. And that fostered a conversation. So in that way, we were starting to have the important, difficult conversations that I think need to be had if we're going to move forward and address problems we have in society now. I'm always amazed by the amount of uh, art and creativity that happened during the Holocaust itself, notwithstanding, mm -hmm. you know, the um, enormous, um, you know, pressure that was on on the individuals concerned, the, the, the kind of the life force to create and to tell the story through different artistic expressions. In testimonies, it's worth actually just going into the Show Foundation archive on the, they call the Visual History Archive online. You can, anybody can go on there mm -hmm. um, and just search under art, for example, and there'll be thousands of art pieces and artistic you know, stories about art and music and literature that come up through the testimonies. And particularly poems and, and literature and songs and so forth that, you know, are, take them back, you know, the survivors back into this time and, and remember these, these remarkable reflections. I quickly put on my wet pants and my, my jacket and, and shuffled along with those wooden shoes and came to the commandant's quarters and he's nice and warm. He's sitting there drinking uh, whatever, schnapps or whatever, you know. And he, he certainly was no skinny. He, he was, his cheeks were red and puffy. And he says, yeah, spiel doch was. And throws a harmonica at me. And I caught it and 
I shouldn't have asked him, was, you know, what soll es sein, what should it be, what, what do you wish? And uh, he said, Spiel was for Schubert. So how am I you know, going to tell him, no, let's play something else. You, you, you don't say no to him. So I started to play the Schubert Stentier, the Serenist. Finished. He started, he started looking around, and he went over there, and I see something in his hand, something bigger than a harmonica, and here, yeah. and he threw at me, and I was caught it like a like, like a football player today. I used to be a goalie on my soccer team, and I caught it. And it's a loaf of bread, a loaf, a whole loaf of bread, and the face, poor face of my dad came to my mind, and I said, Oh, dad, why are you now? I wish you were here. I have a loaf of bread I could share with you. That single piece is responsible for my survival. So I went to Comic-Con a few years ago and discovered this. Uh, as I walked through the door called Letting It Go by Miriam Caton. Wow. Uh, Miriam is a Holocaust survivor and a graphic novelist. Um, and you can see in here beautiful, beautiful illustrations. Mm. And once she'd finished her career, she turned in her, in her, her retirement to actually telling her own story um, through a series of books, graphic novels. Wow. So she would be somebody definitely to get in touch with and bring to your uh, center. Because in a sense, this is her testimony another exhibit that we just did at uh, USC Shoah Foundation called Facing Survival. A national award-winning portrait artist, David Kassan, has dedicated his time to painting survivors of the Holocaust. We did an art exhibition with him and it I've just got here hanging on my wall here sort of an early drawing this here is an image of, I think it's 11 or 12 Holocaust survivors who went through Auschwitz, who live in LA today. It was displayed at USC as part of Facing Survival with these individuals life-size in huge galleries. And what was really interesting was when I saw David's work, I saw it as an act of testimony that even though they are not saying anything, it's sort of the indelibility of their faces and what he paints into their faces in terms of their life history just comes through very, very clearly. Um, and, and in a sense, having the survivors there with their images, so the living survivor with their images, uh, to me was just a real powerful reflection of what this program's all about, which is we are. We are here and also we are indelible. And I think that that sort of intersection between art and history and testimony is just tremendously powerful and interesting.
at the University of Pittsburgh between the Cathedral of Learning, which is a 1930s building that looks like Gotham Tower, and a chapel on the other side is this beautiful lawn. And that's about as close as you're gonna get to a city center. And um, one of the vice provosts agreed to host this at Pitt. It really was an incredible thing. It went up and it was in an area where so many people are just walking that it became, you know, I was there almost every day while it was open and I would see people, people exercising, stop. There's a painter in Pittsburgh, Adam Mayroff is his name, and he went almost every day to watch people looking at the exhibit, and then he painted them. I acquired one of the paintings because I loved them, but this is what it looks like. And it's Irene Schulman here, and mm. Judah Samet is here. Judah Samet's name is fairly well known at this point uh, because not only was he a child camp survivor, uh, but also he was in the parking lot at the Tree of Life the day of the shooting, and the police made him leave. So he survived the Tree of Life and he survived the Holocaust. It's, it was very meaningful because, you know, one of the things that we're doing these days is taking testimony of um, those who've experienced anti-Semitism in the contemporary world and making sure that we document that as well. Um, and so actually I think the, you know, the fact you show the painting of Judah is very meaningful uh, in that context. Yes. Actually, I, I, gra I grabbed another painting or two as well to show you. Just continuing that story about David Kassan and facing yes. survival. Um, this is a, a drawing of Pinchas Gutter. Pinchas is a very close and dear friend of mine. But, you know, he's also become very well known for being the first interviewee of the Dimensions and Testimony holographic yes. program. And what I love about this is these are different media and how they capture the individual in different ways. Because on the one hand, he's this, you know, uh, holographic image that will talk to you for hours and hours on end. And on the other hand, this is sort of beautiful. This is a sketch of the painting that David was going to do. And this is a painting of a mother and child. Uh, it's a design for a stained glass window, stained as you glass, can see. Yes. Um, done by Holocaust survivor Roman Halter. And Roman was a, a very dear friend of mine living in the UK, but a beautiful piece of, of just deep reflection on the relationship between a mother and a child. Um, and I, I suspect, you know, depicts his own family, his own mother and his own siblings. One thing we're finding where, while we're all digital is that distances collapse, don't they? Like we can do this so easily and we could be next to each other instead of on opposite sides of the country. And uh, it has come, I mean, with a lot of sadness and terrible hardship for many people, it's been a time of opportunity for organizations that are committed to Holocaust education and to preserving the memory because the space collapses. And um, we can do a lot more together. It kind of brings us full circle back to we are the tree of life because actually yes. it's sort of the we are, it's being together. And I think being together is what gives us the growth and gives us the chance to actually flourish in these times. I am Peter Yarrow, and I am with you now, and we are the tree of life. We together are the tree of life.
My name is Amy Ginsburg Bikel, and we are the Tree of Life. You have asked me why the days fly by so quickly, and why each one feels no different from the last. And you say that you are fearful for the future. And you have grown suspicious of the past. You wonder if your dreams have shared together, have abandoned us or we abandon them You cast about and try to find new meaning New meaning So that you can feel that closeness Once again Carry on my sweet survivor Carry on, my lonely friend Don't you give up your dream Amy, you and I shall not give up our dream Don't you let it end Carry on, my sweet survivor Though you know that something is gone For everything that matters Carry on. So much has changed. So much is gone, is threatened. Far and wide as the eye can wander, deep and far are everywhere. Theo, who had only been back to Vienna, which was his birthplace, a very few times after the Holocaust and after he and his parents, uh, really they fled, they fled from their really moments before the final solution began and were able to get entry permits into Palestine. In 2014, Bikel was invited to sing in the Austrian parliament in Vienna on the occasion of the 75th anniversary of Kristallnacht. He was there with his open heart and with his love of music, and with the love of the music that he was singing. And this acted to transform the feeling in the room. And you saw people going from being very stiff and nervous to slowly relaxing, tapping their fingers on the table, kind of swaying with the music. <laughs> In the presence of all of Austria's top dignitaries, Bikel spoke of having become a refugee and remaining one in some way for the rest of his life. I thank you for choosing to honor my people in this way, he said to them. And I would like to point out the great symbolic significance of this event, for the mass murderers are gone, and I'm still here, singing my songs of peace and freedom.
music in some way allowed him, as opposed to his just speaking, it was in the fact of the expression of the music that you said that hit them viscerally and in the heart as opposed to in the head. What I'm inferring from this, the connection between the intention of goodness and embrace and the ability to share it in a musical form had a transformational effect. And this uh, pure joy, which, which is beyond our thoughts and our opinions and uh, our philosophies and our ideologies, because it's coming from his heart and from his soul, it was able to connect directly to other people's hearts and souls. I think that we've touched on the nexus of a lot of what this conversation is about, is about how we can use music to embrace, to bring people in, as opposed to using words to fight. If I scream. Tree of Life. My parents were born in Magdeburg, Germany, which is about a hundred miles or more from Berlin. When my father was 11 and my mother was nine, they were in the same class together. They were childhood sweethearts, but they didn't really get together until my father moved to Berlin to study law, and eventually my mother came to Berlin and got married soon thereafter, 1931. Then when Hitler took power, my mother had a job, a pretty good job teaching uh, gymnastics and drawing. So my father then, due to his commitment to Zionism and Palestine, he began volunteering to work for Hecha Lutz. Hecha Lutz, which means the pioneer in Hebrew. It was the first major Zionist organization devoted to recruiting people and encouraging people to come to Palestine to establish a new Jewish land, country. The British, who controlled Palestine at the time, provided visas for couples more than they did to individuals. So my father's job was to uh, artificially match make these couples that didn't know each other, get them visas so they could go to Palestine, which they did. And he claims that thousands of couples were 
committed to Palestine under this process. So that's what he was doing through much of the 30s for Hechelotz, uh, saving these people. He didn't know that they eventually would be saved from the Holocaust, but he was supporting the cause of Palestine and the Zionist um, agenda. I don't know if I mentioned my parents' names, Eva and Rudy Brooke. They ended up coming to America in 1938 on the day of Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht was actually two days, a day and a night, November 9th and 10th, 1938. I always imagined my father saying, see, I told you so. We got out just in time because my mother was still sort of feeling it wasn't that urgent. Now, many of their relatives did not get out in the nick of time. Uh, my mother left her sister um, and her father. Her father would perish in Theresienstadt, also called Teresin in Czechoslovakia. And my father, his father had died of natural causes before he left. He lost his mother and his only sister. Uh, they died in a uh, transfer camp in Poland of starvation, and I have the record of that. But an artist in Germany many years ago, I think 10, 15 years ago, and he had the idea of commemorating uh, those who had died in the Holocaust by placing a tiny brass plate, sort of like a walk of infamy, in either in front of their house on the sidewalk or in front of a business that they had that then said who they were and when they were born and when they died, and I think where they died in the Holocaust. Okay? And that was called Stolperstein, which means sort of stumbling block. Around 2006, I think it was, I was um, communicated to by someone in Germany, in Magdeburg, actually, and said, we are going to have a, a Stolperstein ceremony for your grandfather, and we will lay a stone uh, by his business. I think the house was destroyed. My wife and I went to Germany for that event, and it was very moving. I spoke. They had school children, and they would have them come to many Stolperstein events to inform them about the Holocaust. So that's kind of a tree of life, I think. It's a stone of life, maybe. My mother, who had a job waiting for her in a massage salon in Hollywood, actually, and it catered very much to other emigres who were more into massage. It was more of a tradition through her connections at this massage parlor where she met many prominent people and refugees. She got jobs for my father as a gardener, but my father knew a lot. And so, you know, here's this lawyer, right, in Germany who couldn't be a lawyer and he couldn't be a lawyer in America now either. Uh, he didn't take this as a step down. So in some ways he got his Palestinian dream, the tree of life, that branch carried from Palestine all the way to Los Angeles, uh, eventually became a landscape architect. He was able to buy a two-acre farm. We had multiple apricot trees. Here my parents were starting this wonderful new tree of life, an orchard of life, if you will, uh, in Los Angeles, in America. And many of their close relatives are having their trees chopped down, if you will, back in Germany.
Hi, my name is Tammuz Dubnov. I'm actually here in Tel Aviv, Israel. I'm 25, and I'm going to tell you slash show you about the story of Francesca Mann, who was only 26 when she perished. She was a dancer, and the, the notable thing about her is that when she was taken to Auschwitz, she was able to use her skills as a performer and sort of seduce one of the guards and grab his gun and shoot him and shoot another. Now, the amazing thing is she was uh, one of the most prominent dancers at the time with an amazing career to look forward to. And she was at first told she was uh, on her way to Switzerland and supposedly rescued, but in fact, she was taken to Auschwitz. Um, and when she was told to strip, that's when she used her experience um, to really fight back and use her experience on stage and her kind of movement vocabulary um, to get close to a guard, seduce them. Some stories say that she pulled off her shoe and attacked him with the heel. Some say that she grabbed the gun. Um, but in either or in all versions, she was able to grab a gun and shoot not just one, but two Nazis. And that really caused inspiration for the rest of the women with her. Um, and they all started fighting back. Right now, I'll show you a piece I choreographed and performed that sort of tries to communicate her story. Let's take a look.
I went through this experience and this process of choreographing the piece around what I interpret as, as her experience, I really tried to kind of capture the feelings, perhaps you heard the breathing in that piece. True beauty and, and source of inspiration is in that moment, she was able to use her skills to her advantage to even fight um, and make an impact in the end. She's one of the, the millions that perished, but from her, we can kind of take her story and use it as a sort of source of strength and know that in any moment we're able to, to really find that strength from within and make a difference and keep fighting. talk about anti-semitism or as being you know inherently genocidal um, and the reason for that is obviously we have ample proof mm. that if you do not confront anti-semitism for what it is when it occurs um, that we know that the end point of anti-semitism is that Jews will be murdered on you know on mass because that's what the holocaust is ample you know evidence of and so, in a sense, when we see small acts of anti-Semitism occur, um, it's so vitally important that we do um, confront them and that we do nip them in the bud and that we do call them what, you know, name it and for what it is mm -hmm. um, and move very quickly to, um, you know, remove the, the, the causes and the of that particular form of anti-Semitism, whatever that might be, um, because we know ultimately it's genocidal. And so I take, I take this very seriously. And, and it's interesting that you say the survivors themselves sort of, you know, felt, well, of course, anti-Semitism ultimately turns violent. This goes for the digital world as well. You know, uh, we know that the killer in Pittsburgh was, you know, active in the digital space. And it seems to be that the digital world has given much more freedom for the uh, transference of violent ideas um, that, as we saw, can very easily turn from rhetoric into action. Um, and I think we, in this country, um, you know, we treasure the, uh, the freedom of speech that we have, and absolutely we should, and we should protect it at all costs. And we also need to know when there is a danger in that speech um, that could lead to violence. And we have enough intelligence and enough knowledge today um, to be able to decipher between the two. Law enforcement and uh, you know, security uh, people need to really understand better because um, there, there are, it seems to me that there are clear signs um, and at least we need to be able to uh, decipher that and protect people's lives because ultimately, you know, words do kill. And just more awareness of what's happening online. The, the mm. shooter at the Tree of Life was in an online community called Gab. I had never heard of it. You know, and I'm not in law enforcement, but it sent a signal to law enforcement. They need to know about these places, right. you know, where these conversations are taking place, for sure. I wrote this song about bringing peace. Why do I fear you? Why do I hate you? 
Why do I love you? Why? What if I were to tell you my story? What if I were to tell you my fears? What if I were to open my heart to you? What if I were to show you my tears? Why did I build a wall to prevent you from loving or knowing or touching my soul? Why didn't I trust you to be real and human and let trust and friendship and healing unfold? Yeah, the fear that we have is not just of being hurt, but of confronting ourselves. And that is why, and, and being who we really are in our feet of clay, and in our glory, and in our transcendence, and in our failure. And if we can do that, I think that that points to what must we must move towards if we are to heal this world, is that basically we have to make, as a world, a spiritual leap. Just as the United States made a spiritual leap in the 1960s and, and in the Black Lives Matter movement. Not by edict will we get there, not by laws, not by armies winning this or that, not by caging people, not by oppressing people, not by putting kids in cages, not, none of that will ever do anything that we need to, to buy by the virtue of our finding our souls in love and inspiring that in each other and making that leap we have a, we ha we can redeem we can redeem ourselves and each other i want to point out that of course none of anything that i said or that you said doesn't contradict standing up in defense when defense is what's needed no one's talking about rolling over you know i'm looking right. at the mothers in portland that are that you know have been standing you know, day in and day out and more and more mothers are showing up and standing and saying you know you don't you touch our kids Robert Dauber was born in Vienna in August 1922. His father came from Bukovina. He was a very fine violinist. His mother from Brno. When Robert was 14, the family moved to Prague. His father became the leader of a salon orchestra, and Robert was very influenced by that light operatic music. This piece he wrote when he was taken to Terezin, the infamous ghetto in, in Czechoslovakia, uh, the show ghetto of the Nazis. Robert participated in the musical life there. He played cello for all the performances of the children's opera Brundabar. When he was almost 23, he was deported to Auschwitz and from there to Dachau, where he perished. It's interesting in this music. It begins softly. It has a fast, lively part in the middle that reminds me of flamenco music. Then it goes back to the serene part, except if you notice before the end, there is a place that is marked in the music, a marking that I've never seen in music before, tumultuoso. 
And it is as if the composer wants you to know that things are not all as serene, as beautiful as the rest of the pieces. Thank you. 
As I reflect on this piece, I realize this was the only surviving piece of Robert Dauber. Had he lived, or probably he wrote other things which nobody so far has discovered, and there is a question if anything will ever be discovered. And so we are blessed with many survivors and many, many who lost their lives and could have enriched our culture so much had they lived. I myself lived it in Spain after the, during the beginning and for many years of the Franco regime. And I saw the power that the arts had and how it brought great comfort to all. I think that musicians, as music is my life, I will speak about music, but it goes, of course, through. It is true for uh, writings, for writers, poets, painters, sculpture, and every kind of expression of one's soul through the arts. But I believe that uh, musicians, we are the guardian of our own history to preserve it and pass it on to future generations. avesse scatenato negli artisti un'autentica esplosione non solo di creatività, di ingegno, ma di quella enorme cosa di adrenalina con il quale si può sopravvivere a situazioni di disagio, a situazioni tragiche, penose, e quasi quasi azzerare il, il luogo, il campo di concentramento. Tutto si ripiega sull'attività del proprio cervello e del proprio cuore. Mangiare è importante, eh, ma diventa certe volte più importante stare insieme, fare musica, fare teatro. Chi o cosa spinge l'uomo nelle situazioni più drammatiche, impensabili, a produrre arte? È una domanda che ci porteremo, credo, a lungo. Una risposta possiamo averla. Può essere il credere in un futuro migliore. Può essere anche ritenere che in quel momento l'uomo deve veramente dare il meglio di se stesso e deve produrre una forza testamentaria capace di trasmettere il vero significato dell'arte e della vita alle future generazioni. Ma a prescindere da qualsiasi interpretazione, 
Oggi possediamo un, un patrimonio universale che spetta a noi in questo momento valorizzare, promuovere, catalogare, darne una formazione accademica, bibliotecaria, museale, rendere tutto questo letteratura. In fondo sarebbe la realizzazione del loro desiderio. Nel, Nell'immediato questa musica va suonata, va eseguita. In una proiezione futura questa musica deve assumere i contorni, i profili di una letteratura. Questo brano, come altra letteratura pianistica, viene prodotto in un campo di lavoro tedesco. L'autore scriverà anche delle canzoni in altri campi. Come succederà a molti musicisti polacchi dopo la guerra, eh, la situazione post bellica, l'insediamento del, del regime socialista, porterà molti polacchi ad abbandonare l'attività musicale, amatoriale o di altro genere che fosse. Striecki morirà praticamente anonimo negli anni Ottanta, ma come altri non imbraccerà più uno strumento musicale o si dedicherà solo tra amici. A fare musica. Questo è uno dei, delle, una delle eredità più amare che raccogliamo dalla produzione musicale concentrazionaria. È come se una, una misteriosa energia abbia motivato, abbia dato una, 
un'adrenalina, una carica enorme di energia nel, nel campo durante la cattività civile o militare o politica e una volta ottenuta la liberazione, a meno che di eh, particolari motivazioni artistiche, molte persone abbiano privilegiato il ritornare a una vita normale, a una quotidianità, piuttosto che rituffarsi in avventure di carriera eh, musicale o artistica o teatrale. My name is Susie Meltzer, and we are the Tree of Life, an excerpt from Night by Ellie Wiesel. Never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp, which has turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke, Never shall I forget the little faces of the children whose body I saw turned into wreaths of smoke beneath a silent blue sky. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my fate forever. Never shall I forget that nocturnal silence which deprived me for all eternity of the desire to live. Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things, even if I am condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. And so we go to the museum. And what should we do? Weep? No. My good friends, we never try to tell the tale to make people weep. It's too easy. We didn't want pity. If we decided to tell the tale, it is because we wanted the world to be a better world. Just a better world. And learn and remember what is our role. We must become the messengers, messengers. Courage always finds a plan to a whole new circumstance. And would I put out your fire if I saw the chance? Your troubles will I soften a double truth Take a sip. 
faith from the well of mercy. Throw out your fear. All right. To grow a tree of life It takes a long time, honey And kindness is the measure And take a sip of faith From the well of mercy Throw out your fear Yeah, I hope you know what I mean Let's build life anew Bring this hate to an end Let's find trust in our hearts and start over again. Can you forgive me? Can I forgive you? Can we ever stop fighting and sing the same song? The Holocaust survivors themselves have had the final word of their own story. That to me is uh, an amazing act of both resilience, I'm going to keep living and I'm going to tell my story, and resistance, I have the final word on this. We collectively have the final word on this make your way you say what you want to in your own time in those days the notes were silent and today they will be heard in the days drawings were hidden and now they will be seen in the days of voiceless stories now there Well, thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Clint. And thank you, Jackie's other friends. I am so happy and honored to be able to bring this film at this time of, uh, of moments of pain, watching what's happening in Israel, watching what's happening around the world with scaling anti-Semitism. This is a platform that Jackie has and her friends have put together for a new way, perhaps, to focus on how to educate around the Holocaust and how to educate around anti-Semitism. And I will speak for Jackie. Jackie is very interested in bringing this film to other communities. 
So those who are with us and are here from around the world, if you want to contact Jackie, I'm sure Jackie will put her email in chat. Sure. Um, and all of the chat uh, information will be available online at jcrnow.com, our uh, website. And I'm going to turn it back to Jackie um, to open the uh, open the next phase yes. of the discussion. Okay. First of all, I, I would like all to admit that, in fact, my daughter at the end who composed this music and this song is beautiful and that you love her. I do love her. That's one point. Uh, effectively, let's open the question and answer. And uh, uh, um, and Peter, are you around? And Clint, are you around? And myself. And after that, I will pre will present some of our projects that we are developing, special specifically with Dr. Joshua Cohen. Uh, where where my Peter and my? I'm here. Okay. Okay. And are you Peter? Right. Where's yeah. Peter Yao? Well, Jeffrey wants to say something. Yeah, just, just a second. I want to everyone, so we have a big crowd still with us, and I want you to now, to be able to raise your hand, I want you to go to your tab on the bottom of your Zoom toolbar and open it, and you'll see that it says raise your hand. And if you look, take a look at my tile, I immediately went to the top, and I have a hand raised. So the best way for us to be able to manage people who want to ask questions of all of the people, whether it's Peter or Jackie or Clint, to raise your hand, it makes it infinitely easier for us to manage the Q&A. And so um, also I would advocate you please, in all fairness to the presenters and the people who've worked so hard to bring you this project, please bring your cameras back on because we want to see you. Otherwise, uh, Zoom is not showing you uh, based on all of the all of the toggles that I set up at the beginning. So thank you very much, those of you who are coming back on with uh, with your cameras. So appreciate that. So Jackie, now that I've said my two cents, you go ahead and do what you want to do next. Jackie, you have to unmute yourself, please. Unmute yourself, Jackie, please. Uh, I, do you have any questions uh, that we can start with? And I will look for Peter. I am sure he's fine to Clit or to myself or to any of you. I'm here. Oh, okay. he's here. Okay, yeah. please ask well, your question. You well, can raise your hand. We'll select you. Hand is raised, so I'm going to ask the first question. What do you expect to do with this platform moving forward? And I asked the question of all who were participating in the production. Jackie, I've never heard you be silent before. Come on. Uh, I wanted to give a chance to somebody else. Uh, no. Or to, or to Peter. Peter, you have something to say? Yeah, I Answer. wanted to speak. Go. No, you speak, Jackie. Okay. To, uh, to, to say, I think we... It was an initiative. I still call it an initiative. That means I still think that there is a lot of thinking to do about it and orientation to give to this project, especially with the days of today and with what's happening in the world today. And I think with all seriousness that we have a very, very, very serious problem. I see it as such. And I think, for example, creating 
a, a prolongation, I don't know if it's the right word for English, of the initiative, talking about anti-Semitism. I am already talking with Peter and so about how we are the tree of life can help combating anti-Semitism with arts. And we have already a number of ideas by selling, selecting artists, we might be able to do that. Secondly, how do are we going to do it uh, and, and use this educational tool successfully? I, I, I'm not sure, and I have been in education for 63 years in different fields. I'm not sure that I, I have reached the little level of success or even just of reflection. How can we do better than we do? And Peter expressed that it's not about the Jews, it's about the human being. How can we bring our generation to generation? How can we bring our kids to safety and at the same time to action? Okay, and that they understand. Uh, as you saw at the end of the movie, there are different trees and they are the trees from the, my grandchildren and friends of my grandchildren. How can we do that? And that means there are so many factors, so many steps to be reviewed, to be studied, to be to get our education. I need to get my education from Peter, from Francesco Lotoro. And how are we going to reach this step where finally we could say we can create a better world? Well, I have a, a thought, Jackie, that uh, has been in my heart. And the presumption is, on my part, is that when we have a tool here, we say, we ask the question, how can we use this tool in a concrete way? For instance, if we were to take the art of, uh, that has been produced by Holocaust survivors and show it to uh, to kids in, in a school and say, I want you to express musically, poetically, on or your art, what it is that is beautiful in your lives, what it is that's uh, stopping you from being a beautiful person or being what you aspire to be. What is it that you find that's cruel? And express that. And when you express that, you say, I am here and I stand for something. I stand for this in a positive way and I stand for this in terms of my calling it reprehensible. I think if we want to do that, it has to be in my mind, something that uh, we bring to synagogues, to um, mosques, to churches, because, uh, and, and we have to 
understand that the stories of that are happening today need the kind of courage to be told in the way that these Holocaust survivors tell them. Kids in schools about uh, anticipating a school shooting or experiencing the the pain of being black of being and then we also have to hear the stories of those people who were caught in 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 Gaza so you know that not the perpetrators of the war or the participants the people whose lives were shattered by that that, that's being that's being jewish peter and jackie i have a question from you from pam ferris pam if you can unmute yourself and ask your question hi pam Unmute yourself, Pam, please. I had. Okay, yes, yeah, so now we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Thank Happy you. to see you. Happy to see all of you, and uh, thank you for including me in this. Um, what came to mind as I watched this amazing uh, documentary is um, the various ways in which it can be promoted. And um, we have... Uh, I happen to be part of the National Association of all the Jewish homes in the country. Um, and I think, Peter, you're aware of that association because you sang at our conference. I, I sent you a message about Don Schulman, uh, who I, I know you know, but I was actually mm-hmm. one of the participants on the stage when you were singing. So um, anyway, I, I know that that is one area that I think um, we could get this out there, but I understand you want it to be an educational tool and many of the seniors that live in our homes um, have lived through it. So I'm not, but I still think it's fascinating for them to see and we would be happy to show it at Seacrest um, if you would like that. But I also think it's really a a very moving piece that, that the employees of the Jewish homes could see. Um, It's a long video and that's the challenge. Um, because we already show a video about the Holocaust to every new employee that starts with us. And um, that is part of their education. So if there was a way to take us a, a little bit, uh, I don't want to say a snippet because it's, I, I don't know how you could cut it down, but right. if there was a way that we could uh, do that, then I don't understand why my colleagues would not want to incorporate this in their onboarding of employees and especially even non-Jewish agencies because you know there's there's this uh, acronym DEI that's out there right Um, diversity equity and inclusion and it's a very big part of organizations right now and this could become a part of that education about diversity and acceptance and inclusion and things like that. So um, it might be, from a timing standpoint, a very um, possible uh, interest to people for, from that standpoint. I also see it being uh, provided to the Jewish day schools for the children um, as they learn about the Holocaust. 
and if there's a way to get it into the curriculum of the you know public schools, which I I'm leery about them accepting it um, based on everything that's going on with our public school systems now. But I think there are many many ways in which this could be disseminated, um, and I'm happy to help if it if I can. So I thank you, Pam. Thank you, Pam. Yeah. And I would like to j jump in here, Pam, I, and uh, thank you. Yes, um, there one way is to turn it into a learning experience right. and a creative experience, but you're quite right just seeing it. But to me, if you're talking about uh, the dilemma of making it a larger uh, 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 experience, and because it's it's uh it's too long you can take a portion of it and then you can allow people to talk about it and discuss it mm -hmm. and then do another session i mean there are many ways around that but you're you're absolutely right and thank you for stepping up to the plate that's exactly what we need that's what we need right now is is kind of a um a, a, a a brainstorm session to say how do we okay. uh, produce from the very people we're talking uh, who are here how do we produce something that informs that uh, allows people to have their voices heard as well to discuss it and to create something from that experience that brings us together and gives us more resilience so I want to ask Peter Lynn, if I uh, oh, Peter, if I may once I want to bring Lynn in and I want to Lynn, I want to give time for the audience to ask questions. No, I have to say something in relation to this comment. We'll come back and, to you. We'll come back. Oh, please, 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 uh, oh. Jeffrey. I want all you to know that we have turned the documentary under the recommendation of Clint in a docu series. And I learned what is a docu-series. That means we have- We've already broken film. it down. Say, say it in 30 seconds. Say it, Clint, in 30 seconds. We've already seconds. broken it down into episode by episode, and that makes it available to target to whoever wants it for whichever purpose. So it's very easy for us to send it out that way. Okay, sorry. Dance no. or literature or, thank you. Sorry. Next, next question is Lynn. Please uh, ask your question. Thank you. Thank you. I've been working with Jackie for some time and a number of others of you. And I'd like to say there's one word I think can help us all. And that word is epigenetics. I am the director of the USC Institute for Genetic Medicine Art Gallery. For 22 years, we've been using art, music, dance, poetry, laughter to show how it heals the physical body. And everything that you're saying and doing here is epigenetic and there is an institute in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the Van Andel Institute, that has an epigenetic department of research that's led by a former USC scientist. 
and that is the Van Andel family and the group of people from which Betsy DeVos, our former education director, came from. I think that we can use loving kindness to gather everything you're saying to them and make a presentation to their art prize that would make your ideas go global under one word, epigenetics. Well, thank you, Lynn. I want to also let everyone, we have 42 people in this program, but there is only seven, 18 people who are on camera, which is Ashanda. So I want to ask all of you who are with us to go on camera so our artists and everyone who is contributing to the program can be inclusive in seeing you on screen. So please. So I have the next question for Chuck Fink. Please, Chuck, unmute yourself and ask your question. Be with you and thanks for thanks for putting this on. It was really, really just beautiful. So if you can make yourself a little louder, take your voice yeah, up. Yeah. How is that? Is that better? Okay. Let me turn this on. Hang on a second. Okay, now we can't hear you. Let's try this. Yeah, you're on two. Sorry, Sorry folks. Okay. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can hear me now. Okay. In Cleveland, we have the Maltz Museum of Jewish Heritage. And I don't know if you're familiar with it. I imagine one would be. Uh, and it's a, and I think, and I have a friend who's the director of, of education and family programming and, and outreach there at the museum. And that's connected with uh the the temple to Ferrith Israel in Cleveland, which houses the uh the synagogue that was built by Rabbi Abba Hillel Silver. I think I think these venues would be a great place to do it, especially the Maltz Museum. And uh uh and then there's other programs as well that could put it into, as you said, the religious schools and the day schools, um, especially in that segmented kind of way that you talked about. That's all. Okay. And you know, we need we need help. We have been three, four people working on all that for for three years. Lynn was being one of them. Ruth, who has a ray and rays also. But if we can, as Peter said, create a kind of roundtable, create a kind of study, and have people helping us to develop all that, I can tell you that the link is at Yad Vashem, for example. We have done a few things here and there, but if the organization can become so powerful and so and expand it so much, please consider joining. Thank you. Okay, next up, Raha, if you can unmute yourself and ask your question. Yeah, I was I was just thinking that after the, some presentation is made or some series of docu-series or whatever it is at a school or a synagogue or a mosque or wherever it is, that there be a, a follow-up project for the people that regularly attend there, whether it's maybe a mural or some other form of, of the arts or whether it's one thing I can do to make this a better world kind of thing. Okay, and next is uh, Ruth. Uh, unmute yourself, and we're we'll, happy to have your voice in the program. Thank you. First of all, Yashikoch, 
to all the people involved in the creation of this, in particular Jackie. I've been working with Jackie and I was able to make a connection with Jewish Life TV and it's being aired three times and it'll probably continue to be aired in the future. But I want to bring another aspect to all of this work and that is as, um, as a leader and activist in the interfaith community for 30 years, what we discovered is that someone else rather than ourselves should be talking about what happened. Meaning if the Jews who are united and want the world to know what happened, want to make a greater impact the story has to also be told by non-Jews who understand the significance for all of humanity, not just what happened to the Jews. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you just a, what happened uh, in Culver City about 15 years ago. There was a demonstration in front of the mosque in Culver City, and people came with signs saying, Muslims, go home. You're not wanted here. They burned bin Laden and effigy, and we called all of our people from the interfaith community, and we went and stood on the parapet of the mosque, and we put our arms on each other. We were Sikhs and Hindus and Jews and Christians and atheists, people who were meeting together regularly, and it made a huge impact that it was the rest of the community that was speaking out on behalf of the Muslims. Um, I have a friend, her name is Manaza Fridi, Professor Afridi. She is the first Muslim ever to be appointed as head of a Holocaust center. She works out of Manhattan uh, University in Riverside in New York. And she testified on Capitol Hill about the importance of teaching the Holocaust to Muslims so that they would understand the experience of what the Jews went through. So I would like to see us think larger than just the traditional Jewish organizations who would of course be interested in screening the film and talking about it and having conversation and seminars. Think wider, broader, who you know. Uh, one of the people that's connected to the Abraham Accord, the Abraham Reunion, which is an, a Muslim Jewish Christian organization in, in Israel that works together with Palestinians for many, many years already. One of the key people there lived in Nazareth. He's a Sufi sheikh, and he created his own Holocaust museum to teach the Muslims who live there about what happened. So I really want to encourage everybody to think beyond the usual boundaries of how we get the word out. Um, I'll, that's all I'm going to say for now, but uh, congratulations again. Beautiful work. Bravo, bravo. I want to just say one thing. That is exactly what we're doing. What we need is this. You've got this now recorded. Each of these people, I mean, if you look at Seeds of Peace, if you look at the Jerusalem Choir, you, the, the way to be Jewish is to understand that it is by the embrace that we reach our kernel of ourselves, our, our pearl of selves, and our Jewish legacy. And, and this, is, this is why this be, can, can become it's a, a, a teaching tool for us and by us. 
This is so well said. Thank you. Okay, next up is um, Jean. Please unmute yourself and give us your thoughts. Uh, okay. I what, just one second. Uh, I want to congratulate you on this wonderful Thank you. program. And I appreciate everything, uh, all the suggestions. I have uh, an unusual suggestion. Perhaps it sounds unusual based on uh, the inspiration I received from this program and Peter in particular, who was talking about getting in touch with the soul. You know, I have a, a great nephew and I'm very proud, knock on wood, he just came back from 10 days of volunteering in Israel to uh, bring supplies to the soldiers, okay? Among those supplies, what about including some art stuff material so that people could uh, draw trees of life and journals so that they can write some of their experiences as they're going through a, a terrific, uh, a, a terribly uh, horrible time at this uh, moment. So that's my idea and to carry on the tree of life. Thank you. Very nice. Susan, do you mind if I speak a little bit? Okay, I, I wanted to give a, an answer uh, regarding um, the, the... contacting some of our organization. Okay, I don't know, I'm losing it, but that, that's fine. But I want to share with you, as I said, and it's a personal point, I have been 63 years in education in different fields, physics, mathematics, English, French, Hebrew, uh, culture or art. And I was invited by the American Society of Yad Vashem just two or three months ago, again, invited by the American Society of Yad Vashem to present at the Pacific Lutheran University, to present to kids and people who are not Jewish. And I have no shame to say that it was the most powerful event that I presented in my lifetime. And specifically by thinking that I was talking to no Jews and they got perfectly the message. And yes, we need to do that. And yes, we will do that, but we need help. All right, so go Thank ahead. You. Go ahead and we're getting close to the end of the program. So go ahead, Susan. We'd let the... Uh, you know, I have to go because I have to take account okay. of the network. I think we've made a great step forward and we have to carry it forward now, but please carry on uh, without uh, me. Peter, Peter, 20 seconds of Puff, the dragon, because I was, I was... Dragon lived by the sea and Jackie Kamash, she did something wonderful for you and me and we will have each other to go forward as we can and love each other and bring peace in music art and man man kind, womankind humankind kind, but what did you kind. use jackie there are so many so many names why was it jackie, was it jackie? <laughs> it was, love, it you. Was, love you sorry susan please unmute yourself susan and give us your point of view susan unmute yourself please 
Okay, there I am. Sorry, I unmuted, unmuted. Um, I live in Arizona. My grandchildren go to a junior high, and one of the professor, one of the teachers there, made a whole Holocaust program with his eighth grade students. He converted his whole classroom into a museum. He did activities. It, it was written up in the paper, it was fantastic. And one day he came into his classroom and it had been vandalized. Oh. And uh, someone that we knew overheard her daughter say she knew who it was, but was terrified to turn in these children. They were, they were students who were essentially bragging about doing this. And as an educator myself, in, a Jewish educator in uh, Jewish day schools, on any level, no matter who you are, this broke my heart and it made the newspapers. Here, a teacher made the decision to educate his students in such a beautiful way. And he was quoted as saying, he never wants to do this again. It was too traumatic. And it's sad, but there are those things like that that do happen as we know that's all so i want to um conclude the program and jack with jackie's words just give me a minute i also want to thank survivors who are with us for this program i know that on screen is with us to the end is devora who's a child survivor we also had ruth lindemann we had zelda fuchsman and are there any other survivors in the program that I am missing. If you have, raise your hand so I can acknowledge you. Okay, Jackie, you'll end it um, with Yes, very fast. First, first of all, I want to, to all of you to stay together for a, num for a certain time, and it's extremely appreciated. But our initiative is directing now itself into a project. I mean, I think we, we have shaped something. And, and we can see that with the reactions and all the suggestions that you are presenting. But at the same time, we are taking a new approach. And uh, for example, I am working with Dr. Joshua Cohen and Lynn Crandall about uh, how the impact of the arts can be on trauma and therapy. And uh, Dr. Joshua Cohen is a specialist of a video film based uh, therapy and trauma. And we are working on that because if you think about at any office, any office, we are living this trauma here, even if it's indirectly. I call myself sometimes the mother of the world. And I have so much pain for those moms from Palestine, from those mine, those mothers from um, Israel, from America, from France. My grandson was attacked three times in Paris, three times. And I feel for him. That means we are developing, we have a short movie. I don't know if we, you want to show it now, but we are working on institutions. At three and a half minutes, why don't you stop talking, Jack, and I'll play it. I will stop talking, Cohen, sir. And this video project is involving Jackie Gamash and Ellen Sachs, me, and it's about the book film slash video based therapy. 
in the context of trauma and mental health. This is an innovative approach that involves various kinds of media, such as documentaries, interviews, and virtual reality, particularly in the concept of war and conflict. The project highlights the transformational process of both compassionate acts and storytelling as it promotes mental health. We're going to be discussing individual contributions like what Jackie Gamash has con contributed, Ellen Sachs, who's a famous mental health law professor and the recipient of the MacArthur Genius Award and will be presenting on her story through a dialogue with me. We're also going to be speaking with Rose Mahandu, who, with her foundation, empowers women in more torn areas, particularly the Democratic Republic of the Congo, to overcome isolation and impacts of war and gender discrimination. Her Stronger Women, Stronger Nations program educates women about their rights, health, and social change, fostering self-sufficiency, community, and development. A survivor of violence herself, Rose's journey from victim to inspirational figure highlights her commitment to creating a hopeful future for women and communicates in communities affected by the conflict and poverty. For more information, look up her foundation. We also are going to be speaking with Evan from the Hug Me initiative and how losing his legs gave him strength. Hug Me is a documentary project highlighting compassionate response of global volunteers to the crisis in Ukraine. It focuses on powerful impact of goodwill, love, and portraying stories of war victims and how those ex extending help. The project aims to honor the selfless acts of volunteers, illustrating how ordinary people can make it a significant difference in the lives of others during the conflict. We're also going to meet with Sasha Snyder. Sasha and Laura tell an inspiring story about the Holocaust and once a formidable tale of survival, touching a love story that has an enduring family saga. Finally, Dr. Skip Rizzo, who did the forward to my book, film slash video-based therapy and trauma, He's the medical director of the Institute of Creative Technology. His program, Brave Mind, helps soldiers to face their fears and traumas through virtual reality program developed by Dr. Rizzo. So in this series, we explore post-traumatic growth through diverse stories. Jackie Gamache's work illustrates transformation through writing, while Ellen Sachs focuses on mental health showcases and resilience. Rosma Pendu's foundation empowers women in conflict zones embodying strength and adversity. Evan's Hug Me initiative and Sasha Snyder's film work reveal the healing power of compassion and storytelling. And Skip Rizzo's Brave Mind underlines storytelling's role in therapeutic recovery. Together, these narratives exemplify how trauma can lead to significant communal growth and inspiring a journey from hardship to hope. Thank you. I'm looking forward to sharing the video with you. If you would like to Learn more about it, please visit filmandvideobasedtherapy.com and go to the media section where We Are Tree of Life is available. Thank you, Josh. Voila, c'est fini. <laughs> Are you there? I'm getting there. Hold on, I'm back. Okay, so thank you all. Uh, Jackie, if you want to add a few more words, but keep it keep it tight. Thank you.
He needs another Jackie. Who can be the Jackie in this room? Take somebody, S Susan. Okay. Laura. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for this enlightening and, and inspiring. I don't know if it was an hour or five minutes. It it felt thank you for that beautiful and thank you for sharing so much. Let, let me give you. I don't know how to do that. Let me give you my email. It's Jackie Gmash. Should I write it here or whatever? J a c k i e g m a c h at hotmail dot com and my phone number. And I love to talk. I don't know if you noticed that, 858-382-3254. And if we can create a round table and identify people a little bit everywhere in the United States and outside of the United States, I think we can perform further. And I want to address all my thanks to Peter. You saw his participation and his direction. And of course, to Jeffrey, for being part of the International Film Festival. Appreciate Thank you to all. Thank, Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you so much, and we'll see you. Uh, we're not, we do not have another event this month, and we will. Uh, I will announce uh, events that will be available in February. So um, we'll see you uh, the next time. So, And this program I wrote to you in chat will be rebroadcast at 5 p.m., Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can uh, let your friends know about it. And all they have to do is see the link that I put into chat, which is uh, hopefully you've seen. You can just go to the uh, JCHR YouTube channel, uh, the Jewish Holocaust, Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group on YouTube, and you'll see the video there shortly. So thank you very much, all. Thank Bye. you, Jeff and Myra. Bye -bye. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you, Clint. <laughs>